Well, this morning, we are continuing. This is the third sermon that we've looked at, uh, a portion of Isaiah chapter 6. And so if you'll turn there this morning, we're going to be doing Isaiah chapter 6, verses uh, 9 and 10 specifically. But I want to look through 8 through 13 before we actually get started. So, Isaiah chapter 6, and I'll be reading verses 8 through 13. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he, God, said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their eyes, excuse me, their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So, continuing as we look at this, Isaiah is in the throne room. He's in a vision. He's in the throne room of God. The veil where the, that separates the holy place from the holy of holies is... Um, been removed or torn or dropped or whatever the case may be. And the end result is, <clears throat> excuse me, the end result is, is that Isaiah is seeing God face to face. And God, and Isaiah's words, woe is me, I am undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But then it's, it says, God is now saying, who's going to go for us? It's like a council meeting's going on, the courtroom of God. And Isaiah, having just gone through this purging, goes, oh, I'll go. You can send me if you'd like. And then the God of all gods turns and says, good idea. Let's send you. And this is what I want you to say. And notice what it says. It says, not go to my people. Because see, when Moses got his commission from God... God said, oh Moses, I want you to go to my people and tell them, I've heard their cries, I've heard their pleas, I love my people, go to my people and tell them. But that's not what's being said here. God says to Isaiah, go tell those people, something's going on there. Just in that little bit of wording, it's like, hmm, what's happening here? Now, God's not being mean-spirited. In this, there's no indication in the original language that there's any hostility per se, but there's not warm affection either. Something's happened in the relationship between God and the people of Israel. And then he says this really weird, hard thing. And we'll talk about that in just a second. 
And he tells Isaiah what to say. And then after that, Isaiah says, well, how long am I supposed to say these words? And he says, you say them until everything is destroyed. And then Isaiah hears this tiny little ray of hope in verse 13. But there's going to be a seed. There's going to be a seed. Now, think about it like this. Enemies would come in. I'm not just talking about this particular situation, but enemies would come in and they would overtake a place. And when they did, they would first cull out everything that was good. And then after they culled out everything that was good, they would then destroy everything that was left so that no one could come in and reestablish a stronghold. So in other words, they were saying, we're going to just destroy everything. Literally to the point of cutting down all of the trees and then burning them so that they couldn't use that for lumber to rebuild. Literally, they would burn down all the trees that they cut to the point where just the stumps, even the stumps were killed, were burnt with the idea that we're going to kill the trees so there's not even a chance for anything to grow. A total destruction. A total devastation. It used to be literally that when, they, when enemies would come in to uh, an area that was agricultural to take over and to, to battle, they would carry with them rocks in their hands. And they would walk across the farmer's fields dropping rocks into the fields and pouring salt onto the land. Making it useless again to the farmers. This was the, the idea of total devastation and total destruction. And Isaiah says, so God, I'll go. What do you want me to say? Say this to these people. Well, how long am I supposed to say it, God? You say it until there's nothing left. And you can imagine Isaiah going, what? And this, this depth of sadness coming on him. And God looks at him and says, but I want you to understand. This is a hard thing I'm asking you to do. But I want you to understand there's a reason for it. And there is still hope. And there is still life. And there is still there is still potential. And so, as I was reflecting on this this week and thinking about it, the Lord brought to mind the idea of someone who's struggling with a cancer. Sometimes when there's a cancer, it's encapsulated into a tumor, and it's not anything more than stage one or stage two, which means it's all right in this area. Okay? Stage three and four means that it's spreading. But stage one or stage two sometimes can just simply be excised through a surgery. So the doctors say, well, we've got this cancer that's a, that we've identified, so we're going to do a surgery. We're just going to go in and we're going to remove the surgery, I mean, remove the tumor by surgery, and then we'll check and make sure how you're doing. And then a lot of times they're able to say, you are cancer-free now because it was totally contained and we got it all. As a matter of fact, my, that happened with my dad. They suspected that he had prostate cancer. And so the doctor went in and did a biopsy, just a needle, where they went in and removed some cells. And when they removed the cells and did the biopsy, the lab report came back saying, you got every bit of cancer. Because it was completely surrounded by healthy tissue. That was a miracle. 
That was a miracle. That they could go in with a needle and just randomly take out some cells and just happen to get the cancer in that procedure. That's not normal with cancer. Okay, In some cases, cancer has gotten to the point where it has become metastasized, which means it ex- it's not just in the one tumor, but it is now spreading to various parts of the body. Sometimes the whole system is filled with cancer. And then the doctors have to do more more aggressive, more radical treatment in order to kill the cancer to bring health back to the body. And the way they do this is they can either excise it through surgery or they can do what are called radiation treatments. But radiation is generally still more focalized on, focal, I mean, localized on uh, and focused on specific spots. Or they can do what's called chemotherapy. And chemotherapy is combining, a, doing a cocktail, if you will, of chemicals and having those chemicals then injected into the bloodstream of the person who has the cancer. And those chemicals then go and literally go through the entire system of the, bo- of the body for the person and they attack cancer cells. Okay? But the problem is most chemotherapies are not that discriminatory that they can identify just the cancer cells. So what they do is these chemo, these chemicals go in and they attack any fast-growing cell. So that's why chemo patients lose their hair. That's why chemo patients sometimes go to the point of almost being dead themselves. Because in order to be aggressive and killing the cancer, you almost kill the patient. And then, once you've gotten the cancer killed, then you allow health to come back. But if you've ever known somebody who's gone through that type of aggressive cancer treatment, literally what has happened is they've been laid flat out and they're close to death. And it's very tenuous for the first few days or or weeks after that as their health begins to build back and their body begins to get strength again. And then they come back to full vitality And hopefully, the cancer has been eradicated. That's what we're seeing here. God has seen in the nation of Israel that he called out from all human beings in all of human history, said, you are the nation through whom I am going to bring blessing to all other nations on this earth. Through you, The anointed one, my Messiah, will come. And through that anointing and that Messiah, all human beings who have ever been born will have the hope of the grace of redemption, regeneration, adoption, forgiveness through you. But Isaiah is brought on the scene and the heavenly council is discussing as doctors conferring in a conference room looking at scans and reports and x-rays and MRIs and saying, it's stage four. And we have absolutely no hope of saving this patient unless we aggressively treat this cancer. And the only thing we can do is take them down to where they're almost dead and hopefully they'll be able to recover. And that's what we see here. God literally saying to Isaiah, You need to declare to these people, and the result is, they're going to be devastated. Complete destruction. But I'm promising you, Isaiah, there will be 
that seed of hope. There will still be that remnant, if you will. There will be this idea that the Messiah still can come from my people. But not until we deal with these people. It's easy to talk about cancer. It's easy to talk about cells. But when you're talking about souls, whom God has said, they've got to go so that life can come. That's a hard word. I have a very dear friend. Her name is Evelyn. Some of you might know her. If she hears a good word, she speaks it. That's a good word. If you preach something and she likes what you preach, that's a good word, Pastor. Or if she hears some song or some writing and she says, that's a good word. Preachers used to go years ago, that'll preach. Okay? But the idea being, this is something that there, in which there's life. This is something that I can bring into my life to help me be a better Christian. Well, this that we're looking at this morning, this is a hard word. This is not easy to look at. And I will tell you, as I was preparing for this sermon three weeks ago, when I started reading Isaiah 6, I was like, oh God, can I just skip over that part? <laughs> no. But God, I really don't want to talk about that because I don't like those words. That's okay. Preach it anyway. <sighs> okay. So we're now there. And I have dreaded this week. I'm like, ah, God, I don't want to talk about it. But look at the title that I gave to it. Earplugs and Blindfolds. A hard word. Let's look at that hard word. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. He, God said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of these people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. But God, don't you want them to turn? Don't you want them to be healed? I mean, literally, look at verse 10, the verse, first part of verse 10. The command from God to Isaiah is, You go to these people and through your actions cause their heart to become calloused. One of the writers that I read uh, this week, I believe his name was Oswald, said... In their vernacular of that time, they called them fat-hearted. In our vernacular, if Isaiah was preaching today, he would be saying fat-headed. Okay? These people that God is ordering be destroyed, basically, are fat-headed, obstinate. I learned a new word this, word, this week. Obdurate. O-B-D-U-R-A-T-E. I was like, what in the world is that? These obdurate people and their obdurate ways. Unchanging. Wrong, pig-headed. Not willing to budge. They're obdurate. And so in other words, they're cancer cells. And for the, the ultimate goal 
of bringing life, the cells have to be removed. So the word from God to Isaiah is, you volunteered, and here's the message. Those are hard words. I don't like those words. I want God to be loving and kind and merciful and gracious, which he is. But a loving, kind, merciful, gracious, just God has to stand up and do the hard things at times. The thing that was really intriguing to me as I studied this is these same words are found in the New Testament. And these same words that are found in the New Testament in four different cases were spoken by Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, John chapter 12. Those four instances in the Gospels of Jesus speaking these words are all at the exact same time in Jesus' ministry. This is a reporting from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on exactly the same event. And what it is, is Jesus has just finished preaching the parable of the sower. You know, the guy that throws seed out, and it's all good seed, but some goes on the pathway, some goes in the rocks, some goes in the thorns, and some goes in good soil, and there's a certain amount of harvest as a result. And then after he teaches that parable, his followers privately, in the house, privately say, what was that all about? Why do you always teach in parables? And Jesus said, the reason I teach in parables is because if they were to see with understanding or hear, they would turn and I heal them. Isn't that what this is all about? I don't understand. Then the Acts Acts, uh, reference, that's Paul at the very end of his story. He's in Rome, facing his imprisonment, waiting to plead his case before the emperor Caesar. And he calls together the Jews, the prominent Jews of Rome. And he says, I need to have a meeting with you because I want you to understand why I'm here. And they literally say, well, we've not received any report from anybody in Jerusalem about you. We don't know why you're here. So we don't have any preconceived understanding about you, but what's going on? And he preaches the gospel to them. And after he preaches the gospel to them, there arises a dissension between the prominent Jews of Rome. Some understand and believe him. And some are like, this is ridiculous. And Paul quotes Isaiah. You hear the message And because your heart is hardened, you refuse to accept the truth of the gospel. And it isn't that the gospel's bad. It isn't that the seed that the person casting is bad. It's the receptacle that gets that seed and what it does with it. So the reality is, as God broadcasts the truth of the gospel to the people, these people, who've already begun hardening their hearts, because they've already begun practicing pagan practices, worshiping other gods and following other cultures, uh, religious practices, God is saying, continue to speak the truth to them, and it'll just harden their hearts that much more. Uh, Amos, who was a concurrent 
priest, uh, prophet. In the same time as Isaiah, he's preaching specifically to the nation of Samaria, or northern Israel, where Isaiah was preaching to Judea and Jerusalem. Uh, Amos is, same time frame, preaching to the to Samaritans. And his words in Amos chapter 8, verses 11 through 12 are, The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, Jehovah Sabaoth, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. That's a hard word. Let's put it into something that I can swallow real easily. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Don't be callous. Don't be careless. While you sense the leading of the Holy Spirit wooing you and drawing you into vital relationship with God, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion, but receive that word and become new creatures, become alive. But see, there's a principle in place right now. And this is what God is saying to Isaiah, and that we see also here in Isaiah, and we see also in Hebrews chapter 6. There's this understanding that it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have, then, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Now let's bring that down. It's a long sentence. It's impossible if they've fallen away to bring them back to repentance. To their loss. Continuing on. They are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace and land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives blessings from God. But the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed and in the end that land will be burned. See, the message of the, of the Bible is consistent from the time of Isaiah all the way through to the time of Christianity in the early part of the, of, of the first century. The message of God is this. I'm God, you're not. I have a plan, and my plan is good. And my plan brings life. But if you don't want to be part of it, that's your business. That's fine. Then step aside. Because my plan is going to come to fruition. I have a... Uh, well, before I go there. There's this... Um, There's this writer that I read. His name is Mokyer, M-O-T-Y-E-R. And I absolutely love his words. And I can't say better than he did. So I want to read to you this quote that I read in reading about Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Mr. Mokyer says, The human eye cannot see this point of no return in advance. Talking about coming to the point where you've heard the message and 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 the callus is forming and it's forming and it's forming and it's getting larger and larger and larger and the soft tissue of the heart is finally being totally encroached by the callus. There comes a point where the callus completely encapsulates the heart and there's no softness left. 
There is no ability to even hear the word of God anymore. You have hardened your heart so badly, so much, and so long that it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. Think of Pharaoh and the interaction with Moses. And Motyer says, the human eye cannot see this point of no return in advance. And it doesn't even necessarily recognize it when it happens. I mean, once it happened. But the all-sovereign God knows both it and indeed appoints it as he presides. With perfect righteousness and justice over the human psychological processes that he created. It was at just such a time that Isaiah was called to the prophetic preaching office and and Isaiah understood what the terms of the commission meant. He was to bring God's word with fresh, even unparalleled clarity for only the truth could win and change those people. But in their negative response, his hearers would pass the point of no return. And the opportunity, which could spell their salvation, would ultimately spell their judgment. Ichabod. The glory has departed. How many of you were here when Elaine Pettit preached in our church eight years ago? We hosted them for a week. And so Renee and I got the benefit of visiting with them in our home a lot. One of the things she shared with me privately in a conversation once was that, you know, you, as you remember, those of you who were here, she was a woman who spent hours and hours every day in prayer. And she was at a particular church, and she normally would pray in the sanctuary of the church. Uh, in our case, because she was housed in town and we were out here, she didn't do that. But normally she would spend three hours a day in the sanctuary of whatever church she's speaking in, praying specifically for whatever the Lord asked her to pray over. But a lot of times she would pray over the seats of the people. Well, she told me that she had gone back to a church that she had been affiliated with when she was a young person, when she first got saved. And she was speaking at that church. And during her time of prayer, she was mentally going through where sister so-and-so sat and where brother so-and-so sat and where the Joneses sat. And she got to this one pew where all of the leaders of the, of the, the pillars of the congregation sat. And she was in her mind beginning to pray for them And she told me she literally heard the Spirit of God say, Ichabod, do not pray. Move on. And she said, I was brought to tears. These were people that I've known for 30 plus years. And for the Spirit of God to tell me that they were no longer his children because they had hardened their hearts so long and so much that they could no longer hear his voice. She said that's a horrible thing to hear when you're an intercessor. But she said, imagine their experience when they walk into the throne room of God and are told, depart from me, for I never knew you. But Lord, didn't I depart from me? I never knew you. Ichabod. These are hard words. These are so frustrating to me. And the thing 
The thing that that happened to me this week as I was reflecting on this. I literally in my office began to weep. Because can you imagine? Can you imagine being Isaiah? Go and tell these people. Be ever hearing, but never perceiving. Make their hearts cast. The thing that God showed me. Well, before I say that, there's a there's a video clip I want to show you. And I'll need to set it up for you because this, the video clip's not that long. Back in 1972, there was a movie called The Poseidon Adventure. The story's about an ocean cruise ship, ocean-going cruise ship, that gets hit broadside by a uh, tidal wave. The ship is literally turned upside down. And people survive the initial crash and there's this crew of people in the story that trying to, are trying to make it up to the bottom of the ship, okay? Because the ship is upside down. So they say, if we go up, we can go to where the hull is above water, and we can try and find a way out. And so there's this man who's kind of the leader in this, in this story, and he is a minister who's struggling with his own faith at this point in his life. And he stands before this crowd of people in the ballroom after this event has happened, and he said... Join me. We're going to go. There's about seven or eight of us. We're going to go join us. And they start climbing up this huge metal framed ladder, Christmas tree that they're using like a ladder to get up to what was the covering over the door. It's now a platform under the top of the door. And he's standing up there yelling, talking to people, saying, join us. Join us. This is the safety place. And this, these people are going, no, we're staying here because the purser, who is a member of the crew, is saying, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You stay here. This is policy. This is what we do. We'd be safe. And I want to show you the video. This is the, the minister pleading with the people who are trapped in the ballroom. truth. I'm speaking truth to you. This is your only hope. Turn and receive the love of God. This is your only hope. Jesus is the Messiah. He is your only hope. The blood of Christ, which was shed for all humanity, will cover your sins. This is your only hope. Turn from your sins to a loving God who wants and desires relationship with you. This is your only hope. And the culture in which we live spurns those words. Their hearts have been calloused almost, if not completely, But like Isaiah, we are called to rescue the perishing. To do all that we can to bring in all that will be brought. 
And it breaks my heart to watch them die. I'm not physically watching their real death, but I am watching them die. And it's not because I'm not wanting to offer hope. It's because they cannot, will not, and are never going to, to the point where their heart literally cannot respond. And I wept this week in my office. And it broke my heart. Because I'm safe. I am on a path of righteousness and holiness. And I am in right relationship with the sovereign Lord of Almighty God of the universe. I am okay. I will go on and be in his presence forever and forever and forever. But how many people do I interact with on a weekly basis who I know are not in right relationship, who I know need me to speak these words, and I'm so afraid of offending them. But the reality, folks, the command of God, speak the words, yeah, it's going to harden their hearts. Speak the words. Yes, they are not going to receive it. Speak the words. Yes, they are going to turn away and die. But there might be one. And as long as there is still one out there that has not yet come, but God knows is going to come, God says to Jesus, not yet, son. There's still harvest. We're not ready for you to come yet. There's still a harvest. And as Matyar said, from our human perspective, we don't know the moment that the heart seals. We can't discern that moment where you they enter into the point of no return. Even if you see someone who looks like they were born and reared in hell, you don't know. But you have a responsibility to be the evangelist and to speak the truth to them. Did you know in the book of Ezekiel, the Bible very clearly says, if someone has sinned against God, God will hold their blood accountable to themselves. But if there's a prophet or an evangelist or a preacher in their midst who sees them sinning, and doesn't call them to account, the person who's sinning is going to die. But Ezekiel says, the one who refused to speak the truth to them will be held accountable as well. Think about those words. It's wonderful that we can come on a Sunday morning and praise Jesus and be blessed. But reality, folks, count us up. 30, 35. There's two other churches that name Jesus down the road. Maybe 30 to 40. Tops, let's say 150 people this morning in Jesus' name gathered to worship. This community, according to the 2010 census, has 1,445 souls. 
That means one-tenth of them came to church this morning, at least in our area. And did you see a mass exodus of the other 1,300 or so heading into town so they could go to church? I didn't. So what that means to me is that a 1,000 plus souls are out there right now on their way to hell with a heart that's getting more and more calloused. And we hold the truth. We have got to redeem the time. We have got to speak the hard words. Whether or not they're able to receive it is not our concern. We cannot allow another soul to go into the darkness of hell for eternity because we were too afraid. We can't. Let's pray.